I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it is gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast. Your hosts, David, Scott, and Jim, guide you through the chronological epic story of Dune. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast. I'm David Moulton. I am Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. Welcome to our listener feedback episode. Our very first one. Yeah. We had so we had, we had, so the deal is we had so much feedback. We said, look, the main episode was a little over an hour. Um, it would have been another hour of listener feedback. And, uh, we said, well, why don't we just split this up? We'll give you guys another podcast to kind of delve into kind of in the interim as we're kind of between books and hear people's feedback. And if you want to, you can always give feedback to the feedback, what people are saying or throw your two cents in, or as always, you can call in and respond and we'll give you that all at the end of the show as far as uh, what you're thinking of the books you're reading. So is that, that's basically it, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's exciting that we're getting uh, this much feedback and, um, love that you guys are listening to the show, that you're helping promote the show. It has been beautiful in iTunes. What we've been on the main page of what's new and noteworthy in literature yeah. for the past two months. And that's, that's all due to you guys. And, um, you can help us stay there if you, uh, leave some feedback for us or some five star reviews if you like what we're doing. So yeah. we would love to have you let us know that. But also, if you do leave a review, please let us know. Do you check the reviews somewhat? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I looked. There aren't any yet. Okay. So that's all right. Yeah. But hopefully, yeah. you guys yeah. get on there. Hopefully, we'll get that. So really appreciate that. Um, but uh, I guess the way we're going to do this, we got a tons of emails, no voicemail yet. You can always call in and leave your voicemail at one eight 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 five zero eight four three four three, and that'll uh, that, that'll give you some feedback. Or you can send us an MP three, and we'll play it on the show as well. But most of our feedback has come through Facebook and also through Gmail tonight, or our Gmail account, or Dunesaga Podcast at Gmail dot com. And so we're going to go ahead and read that. And I think that we're going to start off with a uh, email that came in from. A rolling smoker and uh, Jim, you, you got this email. Uh, can you just read a little bit what he wrote, and then we'll kind of c- comment after um, after the fact. And we just want to say thanks, first of all, Roland, for write, taking the time to write in and give us your thoughts about the Battle of Corn. Yes, thank you. Um, it says, "Hi, David, Scott, and Jim. Amazing. Rating five out of five. Favorite moments." Orion tricking the Titans with Quentin Butler's help and being helped by the Titans' paranoia with the kill switch in every neo Uh The bridge of the Hrethger, a uh, failure due to Erasmus's protection of Gilbertus. Erasmus's use of Serena nearly brought the attack to a halt, but ended up being the cause of the failure of the bridge when he then needed to save Gilbertus. 
uh, least favorite moment, does the description of what Erasmus did to Wrecker Van, removing his limbs and attaching them to other bodies, etc. Sounds like you have someone okay. in your camp, Jim. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And moments needed but not enjoyed. The rift that was created between Vorian and Abulard. I feel as though Vorian is being somewhat unreasonable when throwing away two million innocent lives. You should expect some outcry. Reina's fascin- uh, excuse me, Reina's fanaticism and hypocrisy <laughs> can't even talk. <laughs> Reina's fanaticism and hypocrisy using spaceships but then destroying less sophisticated technology. Uh, Ismail's loss to Elhim in the Sandworm duel. Ishmael was doing everything correctly, and Elhim was not. Even so, it did not cost Elhim. It reminds me of times when someone playing a game makes a stupid move that should cost them, and yet it somehow miraculously works out for them. So frustrating. <laughs> a summary. Overall, this has been one of the best series I've read in a while. I give the entire trilogy a 5 out of 5 and look forward to reading it again sometime in the future. Also, finishing this book makes me very interested in reading Mentats of Dune. I am very curious about where, where Gilbertus goes from here. And finally, a thought on the House Trilogy. I really don't know what to expect from the House Trilogy, but I'm worried that I won't like them as much. I'm concerned more about the consistency of the universe and characters now that we are getting much closer to Frank Herbert's works. Just a small fear, but I'd hate for the characters in the House Trilogy to come across as different than their Frank Herbert incarnations. Signed, Roland. All right, so he gives us a lot to talk about here. David, you want to start off, uh, what, what hit you, what do you want to talk about out of this uh, email? Uh, well, I think what really, what really hit me the most is, I guess, what he's saying at the end, which is a concern I think any diehard F- Dune fan had when reading the house books, because they came out before, the Prelude to Dune came out before Legends of Dune. And I'm, I know that that was a big concern. I'll say in reading it myself, I felt like it did, uh, justice. Like the characters didn't feel like anything was taken away. My problem with reading it is it didn't feel exciting to me when I read Prelude to Dune the first time. Now, this time around could be totally different. Just like I re-enjoyed these books way more than they did the first time. Right. Uh, with, uh, Legends of Dune. So that's basically the big things I got out of there. Yeah. Uh, so he rated the series five out of five. We didn't yeah. give it, we didn't give a series rating. Uh, what do you think about that rating? A bit high for you? For me? Yeah. Yeah. I give yeah. four out of five. Easily. Easy, easy okay. four out of five. Yeah. Uh, how about you, Jim? Do you yeah. agree with this rating of five out of five? Uh, after reading it for the first time, I would have to say real close to that. Yeah. Five yeah. out of five. I is, think that I'm pretty close to, yeah. close to that as well. Just based on my other ratings, yeah. I think. Um, he mentioned uh, moments needed and not enjoyed. I think all of that was uh, – he did a pretty good job <laughs> at hitting some of those. I, I liked kind of how he, how he broke broke it down and um, and, the, uh, and the whole Gilberto stuff. He hit some of the main moments that we hit in the main show as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, I liked what he said. You know, you expect when you're throwing two million lives away, you should expect some outcry. 
And that made sense. Yeah. The first time I read it, I remember thinking how the roles felt really reversed for me. Where in the Herbert stuff, the Atreides are the real um, gentle and thoughtful people. And the Harkonnens are very harsh and like they're blatantly evil. Uh, like there's mm-hmm. not, you don't really get any good vibes from them in the original series. So, uh, I felt like it was kind of reversed in this situation. You know, Vorian was so, such a hard ass basically. And, 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 uh, uh, Blurred was just kind of like, yeah, think about these lies, <laughs> right. you know? And but, so we don't see how that shifts. Uh, just at the end of this, where it just yeah. talks about how the myth becomes fact to them and the hatred just runs so deep. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's the, but, yeah, I don't know anything, uh, Jim. Anything that hit you in in what he was saying? Yeah, uh, again the the uh, Vorian Aberlord thing. Uh, it did make me feel somewhat uncomfortable that Vorian was was willing to sacrifice all those people. Uh, it made me think that perhaps because of his elongated life, he was thinking more like a machine than a human, and. Um, that living that long and seeing all that death and destruction may have desensitized him to to that kind of thing a little bit and caused him to be a little more obsessive. Mm. Yeah, I can't. I can't. I mean, I can't. I can't imagine living that long and having the youth that he had and that and how it would impact me. But yeah. mm-hmm. I think that you're probably right, Jim. But, yeah. yeah. Anything else that he said that stuck out? Well, let's let's move on then. I believe you have the next email. This one comes from Chad Dukes. He says, love the podcast. I'm reading through all the books now in the same basic format that you guys are. I was glad to find your podcast about the Battle of Corinne. I liked the book overall, but there was one critical thing about the whole battle that drove me mad. The idea that anyone with the power to fold space which would choose not to immediately attack Corinne and clean up later is just mind-boggling. I'm no military general. I didn't go to war college. But even I can see how foolish the decision was from the, out- from the outset. So while I enjoyed the book overall, it was in spite of this major flaw. Good work, guys. Chad Dukes. Uh, so, uh, Jim, what do you think about what he is saying here about not attacking Corinne f- first and waiting till last? Um, I think I saw that coming because that would have been, uh, well, of course the book is the battle of Corin, So of course that would have been the last big battle that, that appeared in the book. So uh, to me, it's, it, it makes sense. Yeah. You know, I, I see what he's saying in one sense, he, he, logistically, um, the moment that the, I guess the question is, were they attacking the Omnius worlds before the fleet launched from Corn to get to, um. No. That's, they were, they were, that, that fleet is what instigated the, the purge. Well, I know the fleet did, mm-hmm. but did they launch a fleet toward the capital city, capital world before they started attacking? They did, like, did they wait and then start attacking or were they attacking before? No, they were attacking before. Because the so, whole thing was they like ramped up. They knew it was coming. So they, they ramped, ramped up, up and they started working. Yeah. So it's so in one sense they were ready in attack mode by the time the battle went. And so I can understand a little bit about what he's saying. Like they should have stopped the moment the fleet left 
and went and attacked right away and just got rid of Corrin. Uh, but the other, I guess the other argument is they were already in the other systems attacking the other Omnia systems and were. Well, the original idea was to, that the, the other ships would, they, Omnia, Omnius wouldn't know. And then so they would be on their way to Seleucus Secundus and, and they could wipe out Corrin no problem. But, you know, they were tipped off by, Obviously. uh, uh, Vidad. Yep. And, and, and it was him and also, um, Metal Mind. Yeah, Surat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, very good. Well, thank you for writing in. Is it Chad? Yeah. Yeah. Th- Chad. Thank you for writing in that. All right. We also got an email and this is from Naomi. And so Naomi, again, thank you for, uh, writing in. We really appreciate it. And it's a little bit long. We'll read through it and then we can kind of comment on it. And so she writes, Dear David, Scott and Jim, spoiler alert. Now, if you, this, we, let's, let me stop right there. If you listen to our main show, it spoils it. We expect <laughs> that you will have read that book by the time that we get there. And so if you haven't, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast until you've read the book, unless you don't care about spoilers. Um, but she says this, I, th- I thoroughly enjoyed Dune Saga podcast. Look forward to the next episode. Well, thank you. I just finished reading Batter of Corrin and loved it. I think that two, like the two earlier Legends books, I found it painfully slow in the beginning. But as I passed the one-third mark, it was difficult to put the book down. Overall, I found the book exciting, and the best and, and best of all, the endings were well written and provided a sense of closure. I give Battle Corrin four out of five stars. So high rating for her. She says her favorite quote: "A profound quotes at the beginning of each chapter were lacking." There is one in, once in particular that made me think for a while, though. If there is no plausible hope for survival, is it better to know that you're doomed or simply exist in blissful ignorance until the end? And that was by Primero Quentin Butler. Military journals. The chapter continued with Quentin and, and, and Faken flying for uh, the space folder for a reconnaissance mission to spy on the machines and found them rallying warships ready to strike humans while they were weakening with the scourge. Uh, her favorite parts were when the, when the free man killed slavers and Halim said he was sorry, would never betray the, the sect. When Norma put the spice uh, gas, put, put on the spice gas mask and realized the prescience, prescience was achieved by the spice gas. When Gobertus got mad at to, to Erasmus, when Erasmus offered to replace the inferior Serena, um, the day Gobertus was reading the picture book to her in the garden, some of her favorite moments, uh, some of her laugh out loud moments. We didn't, we haven't had these guys, <laughs> but, uh, uh, thank you for the laugh, David. Uh, when Vor said, I have an idea before confining the machines at Corn with a scrambler net. Uh, when Fakin declared his name, his name Corino taking credit for defeating the machines. So, and the worst parts from the, from the beginning, I did not like people putting their hands in cogitor jars for direct communication. It seemed a brain should be kept sterile, and I don't remember reading anywhere that electrofluid kills germs. The twenty year gap caused so many problems for me as a reader. How could humans wait twenty years to kill machines? Even if the scrambler net wouldn't have exploded with a laser, perhaps the Holtzman's shield could surround the scrambler net, and then the planet could be blown up with a laser from a safe distance. Didn't think about that. That'd be oh, cool. Yeah. I don't think they could put it around the entire planet. Well, I guess they can, but I don't know how that works. Um, York Thur and, and Fakin's climb to power, not to mention Fakin's marriage to Ginjo, were skipped during this time. I find it hard to believe that the Simic stayed in Resor. 
Hereska for 19 years, especially with Omnius trapped in Corrin. The universe was theirs for the taking. Raina Butler and the call to Serena was irritating. I hope her character is needed for the sister to Dune. If not, the Battle of Corrin would have been better off without her. Perhaps she will contribute to the Orange Catholic Bible since she's already come up with the First Commandment. The ending of the book is well written. I was at the edge of my seat when Abelard was arguing with Vor about rethinking the attack after the bridge of Rithgir was revealed by Rathmus. It was a very satisfying explanation on the reasoning for the rift between the Harkonnens and the Atreides. Um, further, having Ishmael leave the desert with his followers was a wonderful twist after losing the worm duel. Raquel brings so much hope for the sisterhood. I look forward to finding out what Fakin is up to and wonder where the beam of light Omnius Prime was, will be received. It looks like I'll be in the Dune universe for at least a year and a half. Thank you for the podcast and for renewing my love of Dune after the dormant 10 years. If you get BH or KJH to join the podcast, please ask them why they decided to name Quentin's youngest son, Ablerd. <laughs> Thanks again, <laughs> Naomi. <laughs> All right. She wrote a lot of different things here. Um, uh, Jim, why don't we start with you this time? Any, any part in particular sticks out to you about what she's talking about? Yeah, what she said about uh, Raina. Um, uh, contributing to the Orange Catholic Bible. Um, I didn't, I thought of her as more of a hypocrite rather than a religious icon, but, um, I guess I can see down the road, uh, Raina becoming a, a more of an icon, just as the baby Mannion did and Serena did. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and her being labeled a prophet. Or, or even, even a, a, an incarnation of Serena. So yeah, that, that stood out to me. Wow. Oh, and by the way, you know, putting the hands in the, um, in the uh, jars, mm-hmm. she must have missed where it said that every, everybody that dealt with the cogitors were required to carry waterless hand sanitizer with them at all times. Right, right. I think I missed that part too, Jim. <laughs> uh, then that was, of course, uh, spice uh, hand sanitizer. Spice the, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that yeah, cure everything because spice yeah. solves the world's problems. Um, yes. how, about, how about you? Uh, I have to say, I thought about the shield thing too. Uh, one of the things that I thought about, not necessarily using it in the, in the way that she said, I thought to myself, why don't they use this as a weapon? Like, why don't they put a shield on some sort of, like, missile, slow-moving missile, coast it in, shoot it with a laser? And boom. And boom. Yeah. Like, you know, like, but I was like, well, you know, they are robots, so maybe they could deduce what was yeah. happening, but maybe not. Well, and, and that's the only problem with – in shielding the entire planet and shooting it is that uh, we saw that on the, in the very first book when they, when uh, Serena gets captured in that one planet and they're rebuilding the tower that kind of puts the shield over the planet. Like they would have had to get onto Corrin, yeah. build a tower and to have the Holtzman shield cover the entire planet. Something that obviously wasn't going to happen. Right. So, <laughs> uh, but but that is a good idea, I think, and certainly would have made for an interesting conclusion to Corin. Another way, maybe an alternate ending to Corin. But, mm. um, I, you know, I, I thought that, um, I love the quote she had by Quentin Butler. Like, is it better to know there's no plausible for survival or better to know that you're doomed or simply to exist in blissful ignorance? 
um, makes me think of the quote that they have um, in the Matrix, um, very first Matrix movie, um, Cypher sitting there eating steak. And he says, I know this isn't real. I honestly don't care. Ignorance is bliss. You know, that same type of thought. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was another thing I thought. I was thinking that there were tie-ins with the whole machines, the whole machine world and the, and the other world I thought tied into the matrix. I had that thought when I was running the other day because they, uh, both that they had both have like a machine world and a other world. But mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, we can get into that another time. Um, I, I, any other, uh, any other th- things that she said, Jim, that kind of stuck out to you? Um, no, not right no, now. Fine. All right. Very good. Um, and uh, you? Uh, not necessarily. Yeah. A lot of things we covered in the yeah. main, in the main I love episode. the laugh out loud moment, though. The, yeah. the word, I have an idea. It sounds very much like, hey, <laughs> you know, state the obvious. And I too like Franken declaring his name Carino, taking credit for defeating when he had, when he didn't do a darn thing. Yeah. I, I, I think, I, I mean, it was a lighthearted thing for me, but I was just like, jerk. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Well, he was originally a Harkonnen. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right, but he did I mean, before he took the butler name, right? Right. So he was a Harkonnen. And so that, that's another reason that they have that rift between Vorian. I mean, you can't just look, you know, look at, um, the Harkonnen that was his friend that kind of betrays him there. But then you can also look at the other reasons why he doesn't like the Harkonnen line. It's kind yeah. of maybe part of that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, let's move on. This next email actually, uh, covers, um, more than this, this is that's kind of looking back in the trilogy as a whole. And this is also some ro- from Roland. And so Roland, thanks again for giving us what I believe are your top 10 moments. And there's some honorable yeah. mentions of the Dune trilogy. And that is your email, Jim. Go ahead. Yep. It is says Roland's top 10 moments from the legends of Dune series. I'm here in the music room. Should I do a drum roll along with this? <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. No, I, that's I'll pass on that. <laughs> okay. Number 10. Jewel Norette's destruction of the Ix Evermind from Machine Crusade. Dude, that was awesome. Yeah, I, I like mm-hmm. that. Number 9. Raquel's scourge recovery and poisoning inducing transformation from uh, Battle of Corin. Not a big fan. <laughs> yeah, it was okay. I, I don't know if that made my top ten list, but that's all right. <laughs> it's his top ten list, not mine. Go ahead. Yeah. Number eight. Salim Wormrider's fall into a spice blow, resulting in his first overdose of melange and introducing prophetic visions from Butlerian Jihad. It's pretty significant. Yeah. Number seven, Xavier Harkonnen's first defense on Seleucus Secundus from Butlerian Jihad. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. When they attacked mm-hmm. the first time and they opened up with that huge war, mm-hmm. kind of sets the premise for everything. Don't really mm-hmm. know what's going on. His, his lungs are bleeding. Right, right. You know, he's bringing the battle and they figure out how to kind of defeat him. Mm-hmm. Right. So that, that was pretty good. And number six, Serena Butler's recapturing of Gidi Prime from Butlerian Jihad. Yes. Okay. We, we, number we, five. We, we classify, oh, you know, I was going to say, would we classify her as having recaptured that? Well, I mean. I mean, she got the shield up. Yeah, she got the shield up. Or helped. Xavier came in. Yeah. Anyways, that's fine. It's a nitpick. But uh, go ahead. Okay. Number five. Number five, Iblis Ginjo's. 
taking out Ajax in the Earth Uprising, but Lurian Jihad. That was a great moment. That, that was. That was when you liked him. Yeah. You remember that? <laughs> I do remember it. Book one, book one, I liked Iblis Ginja. Book two, yeah. not so much. Yeah. I was very glad to see him die at the end. Yeah. So. Okay, number four. Ishmael's escape from Poritrin. Yeah. Uh, from sp- Machine Crusade. Yeah, using the space folding technology in its infancy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Number three. The destruction of the Titans in Battle Corrin. It was and, good. It wasn't my favorite moment in the book, but it was good. Yeah, I was glad to see him go. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I was glad to see him go, but it was... Anyways, go ahead. All right. Number two. Norma Senva's transformation under Cymec torture from Machine Crusade. Oh, yeah, when she becomes, when she's able to, like, control everything. Yeah. yeah that's kind mm-hmm. of pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, I like that scene. Yeah, that was exciting. And number one, Xavier Harkonnen's sacrificially taking out Iblis Ginjo. And that'd be Scott's number one moment. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was, it was, it was my, just in, like, I don't know, I was somewhere I was just either rereading that or something like that, but when they, when they go into the, I, when I, when I reread the book twice, I, um, cause I'd read it way prior. The, when we got to that moment, like his reactions, when they, they're going into the sun and there's nothing you can do about it. And you're just like, ha, oh, this is a fitting end mm-hmm. for the jerk that he's mm-hmm. become. Yeah. And Xavier's so. just kind of calmly just like accepting yeah. what's happening. Yeah. Okay. And moving right along, uh, honorable mentions we'll in no you, particular we'll, yeah, order. Yeah. We'll just let you read these and we'll comment on it at the end. Okay. Salim Wormrider's first ride on a sandworm, Butlerian Jihad. Salim Wormrider's sacrificially taking out Naib Dartha, Butlerian Jihad. Atomic attack on Earth, Butlerian Jihad. Morian Atreides' Evermind virus trick, uh, Machine Crusade. Uh, the Great Plague, uh, Battle Corrin. Vorian and Abelard's defeat on the might manufacturing devices, uh, Battle Corrin. Ishmael versus Elhim Sandworm Battle, Battle Corrin. And finally, the failure of the Bridge of Hrethger, uh, Battle Corrin. Yeah, there, there's actually some here that I think I would have ranked higher some of the other ones. Yeah, especially the worm. Attack there. Yeah, the uh, the challenge. whole worm worm challenge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really like the scene where uh Salim Wormrider sacrifices himself. For uh, with Naib Naib Dartha. Yeah, that's, that's, that's one of my favorites. That's scenes. a great scene. Going down to the I, I I would have liked to have seen uh Ishmael and Alheem find some kind of uh common ground somewhere. I thought it was kind of harsh of Elheem to, or excuse me, uh, Ishmael to just decide that, you know, well, this is not my surrogate son anymore, and I don't care about him, and I'm going to take him out with a worm if I can. Yeah, but he was doing that for the good of the tribe. He was seeing what was happening to the tribe, and even after they got attacked, his son just wasn't getting it. He didn't want to kill him. Like he says, he didn't want to kill him. You, yeah. The inner dialogue made me feel like it really broke him to do that. But it was for the, like he felt like their future was at risk. Yeah. Uh, but did uh, Ishmael just want to continue living in the past 
and and absolutely no advancement whatsoever. I mean, all societies are going to advance. Uh, any organized group of people are going to grow. Um, and Ishmael just seemed to be completely against any kind of growth whatsoever. Yeah. What what strikes me as funny from this story here is uh, Slim Wormrider wanted to keep the the spice from being harvested and everything right. and from people coming to Arrakis and keep the desert pure. Ishmael kind of wanted to continue the same thing, wanted to live in the desert, wanted to, you know, kind of keep that, that theology. By the time we get to Dune, the Fremen are trying to re turn, turn Dune into a, uh, they're trying to green it to take, to remove the desert, like slowly, but surely it's like one of the, their goals. And I'm just like, that is so far from what originally drove them off into the desert. The right. Complete mm-hmm. opposite. It is. Well, you know, it is, uh, when you look at the root, when you look at the roots of, um, the, the Fremen and especially them being kind of, uh, what the Buddhist, uh, Buddhist Islamic monks mm-hmm. and you, you say, well, very, very religious in nature and the idea of having, huge change, especially in the short amount of time that has happened in the form of a generation and the son forgetting the ideals of the father whom he's never met, uh, has to be a difficult thing for any family. And so you kind of understand that I, I think, you know, I live in the area in, in our part of the world is we have the Amish that are very much, that, that are very much in a sense, the, 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 the Fremen, uh, of, of our, of our, of our area. And these people choose to, not influ, not be tried to not be influenced. And there's always a battle of how much influence do they allow society to have on them. And so I see this as being a very real battle here. And I don't know. Hmm. Um, but I did, um, the Sandworm battle may have been a bit harsh, but I liked the battle. So <laughs> yeah, I did think that the, uh, riding of the first Sandworm was pretty freaking cool. And that yeah. had to be up there. Um, so. Mm-hmm. And the Evermind trick when he uh, gets Surratt to carry the virus around, that's pretty good, too. So, so uh, yeah, there's some definitely good moments on your list, Roland. We uh, love them. So, very good. Thank you for sending those in again. Uh, you have the next email, I guess. Yeah. So, one of the great things that I'm discovering is that our audience is all over the world. Uh, uh, we had someone write in from, what was it? Uh, was it Malawi? No, no. Yeah. No, no. So, it was on... Uh, it was Asia. Oh yeah, so someone was traveling and in, in, yeah, discovered us. Yep. Yeah. So that was that was great. Uh and then we have a fan uh Sundra and I'm going to I'm I'm going to probably say your last name wrong. Uh Tanako, uh, t- I I don't know, but he's from uh the Ukraine. So that's awesome. He's uh left a couple comments and he wrote in and he says, "Howdy. I listened to the podcast today for the Machine Crusade and the segment on the detractors." I just wanted to say that the prequels give us a great backstory for the original books. Duh. As far as I am concerned, now that I am back into Dune itself, these books are perfect in just about every way. By the time I hit Dune, I already had the history just recently installed in my head by Surratt himself. I am looking forward to Mentats to continue on after the sister, after the sisterhood, which as you know, follows the battle of Corin perfectly. Uh, The first time around, I read Dune in 1965, I had no idea what was going on and had to read it twice to sort of get it. 
Now that I'm 61, I totally enjoy the whole experience. I don't have an issue with the writing style of the three authors, though I thought I might. Great stuff. Easy to follow and not as many characters as the Wheel of Time. It doesn't take a thinking machine <laughs> to remember it all. And hell, if it does, that's what the internet's for. And then he gave a wiki link to the Dune, <laughs> Dune characters. Dude, if you're reading through, I, I am, I am also, the two books I'm juggling are Wheel of Time series and this Dune. The Wheel of Time was one of the reasons I got started so late in the Battle of Corin. Yeah, I'm totally with you. <laughs> Anyways, go on. It says, now, since I've had little to do last week, I watched the movie, something that we're going to do. A long time from now, but we're going to get there. It's that like might be soon to me things. Four months ish, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, on YouTube, he said, he said, the Lynch of the Lynch movie. Hmm. Much better after a fellow re- recut the original. Extended versions and deleted scenes and put in proper order. Much better. The cast is absolutely killer. Absolutely. The Harkonnens were as near perfect as could be. Freddie Jones and Brad Dorff were great also. However, part 20 is missing, something about copyright issues, and I will have to rent the old movie just to review that section again. Clearly worth a watch, even if it is a YouTube. My only complaints, the damn sound guns, the weirding modules, and Everett McGill as Stilgar was real pretty bad, but not as bad as the entire miniseries. See next. The 2000 miniseries. Sadly is just as flat compared to a real big budget production with great acting. I watched Children also. Meh. I simply didn't like it. The characters were just as not as not as memorable as say let uh, as let's say Kenneth McMillan's Baron. But as a diehard Tolkien fan, I have to know what we get when we get <laughs> I have to know that we get what we get and it is going to be the best we get. So I should stop bitching. At least it made it to film. So kudos even to the miniseries. Okay. Half kudo. Anyway, <laughs> keep up the good work. It's fun to listen. Thanks. Thanks, uh, John, John. John Richardson. Yeah. Sundra. He's from the Ukraine, as you said. Yeah. So anyways, uh, so uh, what do you think about what he's saying, Jim? Um, as far as the movies are concerned, I know they they are much maligned. And uh, especially the David Lynch one. Um, I don't think I would have read Dune if it were not for that David Lynch movie. Um, yeah, I I saw them, I saw the movie first while I ran the movie at the theater first. And, um, uh, I was, I was impressed and it made me curious to want to go on with the next one. Uh, I didn't think it was as bad in some areas, for instance, uh, Patrick Stewart was awesome. Um, uh, you know, but yeah, I can sure, uh, the mini series, I think I've seen it. And if I remember the costumes were really, really weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, other than that, it, uh, yeah, the costumes were more Renaissance than anything else. But, um, yeah, uh, and I do agree with what he said that these, these are, ju- this is just an incredible series. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, when I, wa- I watched a miniseries and I absolutely loved the miniseries, both of them. The music was incredible. Yeah. The, the story was incredible. There were some great quotes and great moments that stick out in my mind even now as I think about them. But I came to them 
not having read the books in forever. And so that could also play it into my um, not being as jaded when I hit that. But. Now the Dune miniseries, that's the one it was, that's the one with William Hurt. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. yeah William Hurt. Okay. Yeah. So, and, uh, Judy Dench, wasn't she in that? No. What? No, Judy Dench. Uh, it's, uh, uh, the, the older, the older lady in it. She was Judy Dench. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Well, well uh, in the, in, in Children of Dune, you have, um, well, her name just escaped me. But you have a big name in Children of Dune, but it's not right. Judy Dench. Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, well, <clears throat> I have to say, similar to you, Jim, had mm. I not seen the miniseries, I probably would not have started reading the books. Oh, okay. I can't remember if I watched, if I read the book because I saw ads for the miniseries and it looked so good, or vice versa, if I saw the miniseries and then read the books. I can't remember the order that it happened. But I, mm-hmm. even though I admit the miniseries, the first one especially, is very low budget and, and you know, I love them. The Children of Dune is just like, Ugh, I just really enjoy that that miniseries. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, very good. Um, and uh, did, did we, I have one other email, I think. Did you you have an email here to read? Or you just read uh, yours? No, I read mine. Oh, you read yours. Um, so this is another one. This is actually, we're going to go back to Machine Crusade. I think we have two. You have one in, Jim, you have one in Machine Crusade, right? Um. Yes. Okay. So we'll read these two, and then that'll be it for that. And then we should probably wrap up the show, right? It's getting late where we're at. So, um, Machine Crusade response, uh, says this. Hi, David. You should be reading this, but I enjoy the Machine Crusade, but I give it four out of five stars on Goodreads. The reason I felt that I, the reason I feel the Butler in Jihad was better, uh, c- better came down to character development. As you look from the beginning to the end of this book, I feel that the character development was less significant. Some certainly changed a lot. Norma, Ishmael, some changed little. Vorian, Serena, but I felt as though others didn't change at all. Xavier, Iblis, and I didn't feel though anyone changed as much as Serena or Vorian did in the first book. That aside, I did again enjoy the events in this book, especially how it wrapped up. Although it's sad many of the main characters perished, we talked about that, I look forward to the introduction of new characters in the next book and how they'll interact with the remaining characters. So just so you know, it's taking me longer to read these books than it normally would because my wife and I are taking turns. She'll read 50 pages or so, and then I'll catch up to her and we'll discuss. That's kind of a cool way of going through the book there, so that's kind of neat. Mm -hmm. Guys, any comments on what what he said? I have to respectfully respectfully disagree okay. uh, on on his um, uh, assessment of character development. By the time we get to this third book, our characters are pretty well set down. Yeah, he's talking and, though about Machine Crusade. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we're but, talking about the the set, the book uh, Time or Two because this came in after we did that podcast. Okay, well, even, even then, uh, the characters were pretty well established, I think, in the first book. And, and, um, and set down. And then the character development came in with characters that were added later on. I, I, I just thought it kind of, I mean, how much more did we need to know about Vorian? How much more did we need to know about, uh, Xavier? Yeah. Yeah. Serena, we knew we knew those folks. Yeah. If anything, so, if anything book 3 Vorian changes a bit more than he does in book 2. 
And wasn't one of the one of the complaints about uh, Machine Crusade was a constant reminder of what the characters, who the characters were, and where they came from? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, someone so. had a complaint. <laughs> yeah. I won't mention names, but it's David Moulton. <laughs> yeah, well, David wasn't the only one. I read it in, in some reviews, too, so. Yeah. That was that was actually something I read about uh, about O'Quarrion as well on Goodreads, they were saying. So, Yeah, <laughs> very good. Um very good. Was that all the emails? Did, oh, no, I, was, I read that. And you, you have one yet, right? There's one more. That's right. So thanks, Roland, for writing in. Go ahead, Jim, with the last email here. Okay. Um, Ron Smolik writes um, on the Machine Crusade. I really enjoy listening to the conversation. It's great to hear enthusiasm and honesty, even reading dissenting points of view and not just fanboyism. Also, I'm grateful for this opportunity to hear the summary so I can follow Dune conversations with my friends without needing to read the books myself. I'm really curious what happens to Earth between now and the first book. Okay, so that's from Ron. Yeah, so do we, uh, Ed, what do you think about what he's saying, Jim? I. Personally, I think uh, we're not going to find anything happening with Earth other than, as David mentioned earlier um, in the main show, that uh, it's gone and becomes more of a of a legend yeah. than than anything actually happening with it. It was pretty thoroughly nuked. Yeah. So here's where we come into our Battlestar Galactica tie-in. <laughs> Everything happens again, right? Right, because they go and search. And even uh, isn't isn't that kind of the uh, premise of like the Foundation trilogy and the the Foundation series from Asimov? They kind of search for Earth at one point. Uh, it seems like it seems to be a trope in science fiction where people go back and they yeah. look for Earth, and it becomes this mythology. Or the thirteenth colony, or you know whatever it is that you're. I think that's one of the beauties of the original series. Is Earth is they're just like whatever. Like, oh, they're just like, if it ever existed, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. it's gone. So it's mentioned, but it's kind of like whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, you'll never find it again. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you, uh, Ron, for uh, writing in and uh, giving us your thoughts. We're going to end real quickly here by giving uh, talking about some uh, bad reviews, bad right? Bad reviews. This is Bad yeah. Reviews with David Moore. <laughs> Boo, hiss. Yeah, so <laughs> since all you guys overall just gave it real good reviews, or at least mediocre about that, um, here are some people that aren't on right. board with it. Right. I like to peruse uh, Goodreads and find three bad ones and just kind of pull them out. Uh, a lot of these kind of reiterating stuff we said before, but more aimed toward this book. So Craig says, man alive, you'd think the two titular battle would be even remotely worth the wait, wouldn't you? Well, you'd be wrong. Disappointing really doesn't even begin to cover this book. My main problem with the entire Dune prequel trilogy is that it just feels like filler through and through. We're shown the origins of all the different guides and groups and organizations from the present day Dune universe. And it's just so neat and tidy, it doesn't even feel remotely real. It pretty much feels like Herbert and Anderson just jotted down a checklist of everything we'd seen in the original six books and checked them off as they explained them in their prequels. Also, you can't, uh, you, also can you say anticlimactic? 
The middle of the of the book is a fantastic build-up to what seems like a killer end of the war, and then it just fizzles and limps along for another 300 pages or so without ever approaching that intensity again. Meh. Just meh. <laughs> One star. <laughs> so he hit something that I kind of said and kind of like fizzled for me in this. In the, but you in are the kind middle. of you are kind of a, you aren't as harsh. No, 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 no. I'm yeah. not. I don't think it was that bad of a fizzle. So. Yeah, because you do kind of gain a sort of victory by containing Omnius, and it gets exciting again at the end. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Jim, any comments mm-hmm. on that? Well, uh, yeah, uh, he kind of. <laughs> <laughs> He kind of flames the very reason that I, I'm reading these books, and that is to get the origin stories. And why wouldn't they be neat and tidy? Yeah, and, and um, why wouldn't you be looking at a checklist saying, okay, do we explain this in Herbert's Dune? I mean, that's part of the reason you read origin stories. Right. You mean, you, you, you want to find out where these characters come from, what made them, where the background is. And so I think that's one of the things you like about these stories. Yeah. Well, they're going to be somewhat predictable. Right, and yeah. um, uh, I don't know. It just <laughs> you know, it's I not just, gonna it's not gonna be the story like where you have no clue where they're headed because you know they have to line up somehow with the original trilogy. Right. So, right. um, in, in that sense, if you you may not like prequels for that reason, and I'm okay with that. If you don't like prequels because they they, you're, the surprise element is taken out because you know kind of where they're headed. Uh, okay, so the ending spoiled a little bit for you. Yeah. But for me, the journey of how they get there is just as exciting to me as the actual ending. So. And I, we know, ahead, we Jim. know the overall big picture. Okay, right. we know we know the direction everything's going to end up in. And right. I, that's not to say there are not surprises in there along the way. I mean, every. Uh, attack is thwarted until the very end because of some small drop of, of a word or someone shows up with new information and right. things like that. I, I think there's plenty of surprises in this yeah. series. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Yeah. All right. Yeah. How about uh, the next one? Okay. So Jonathan says, I was not the biggest fan of this book. The characters were nearly all unlikable. I liked Abelard <laughs> until the end, and I liked Raquella. Okay. Uh, I did not like the others. They just seemed to be Greek actors playing parts. I hated the religious stupidity. I mean, the authors don't really understand religion, do they? Yes, the original Dune was about the Messiah complex, but it was played in an intelligent manner in which zealots were not immediately shown as fools. Not here. Their zealotry is very ideolic. Er, idiotic, sorry. In all, I was left with a bad taste in my mouth from this. One star. I wouldn't say it's idiotic. I will say that they don't handle the religious stuff nearly as well as Frank Herbert did. But yeah. it is what it is. Yeah. I look at that and I see how people react to stuff today, and I'm not sure that they don't at least, even though it may not be handled the same way as Frank did, that there's a certain authenticity to the way they did handle it. Yeah. I think people react to stuff st- stupidly sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, without thinking through things and that's just what's happening in that. It right. Seems. Mm-hmm. Do you have any comments yeah. on what he had to say? Well, you know, I think there's a lot of hypocrisy going on uh in this series. Um yeah. and uh bringing that out I think is is very important. 
I don't I don't think you're going to everybody is going to be pure in sticking to what their beliefs are in reality. No. There's there's going to be hypocrisy everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. So Yeah. 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 Uh, even the most even the most uh religious person has a sense of that. Right. And mm-hmm. our last one? Yeah, so uh after that one I wanted to look for someone who rated it better but still we're disappointed. So okay. so this one is Stacy. She says I started this installment in Do- in the Dune series about 5 years ago and it has been sitting on my shelf with a bookmark about 200 pages from the end ever since. The trilogy is less compelling than the House trilogy and what <clears throat> which is less rich than Frank Herbert's original series. I'm invested in the story though, so even so every so often I have a compulsion to continue reading in spite of the lack of richness and meaning in Herbert and and the younger's continuation of the series. Frank Herbert had so much to say regarding religion, faith, ecology, political machinations. Indeed, you could point an accusing finger at can't pronounce that word, editorializing an original series. I must confess, I love these sections. The trilogies, however, never realized the same heart that was invested in Dune at all. And while it does more than a passable job of space opera battle fiction, there always seems to be something missing. I keep reminding myself that Frank Herbert left left copious notes on his continuing stories ideas, and for this reason I keep reading these. Sometimes I like to imagine that I see a bit of Frank peeking through these novels, especially where he, he has something potentially profound to observe on his original themes. My primary re- reason for diving in and finishing this is is to cl- is to close that storyline in anticipation for Sisterhood of Doom. The Benny Gesserit threads are by far the most interesting for me, so I will be reading that one soon. Three stars. Oh, so not near as ripping apart, but... No, but still disappointed. Yeah, you know, I, I think that now I'm. What'll be interesting to me is when I hit Dune again, not remembering much about it, and get into the way Frank deals with uh, politics, religion, and and all that. Um, will I feel differently about it? Maybe, but I, I, I think there's what I'm seeing happening politically. What I'm seeing happening again religiously in these books and the way people react. Doesn't it seems authentic to me at this point? Yeah, and maybe it's not done as deeply as Frank Herbert does, but it seems real to me. I agree with you there. I, I have to say, this being the third time I went for these bad reviews, I feel like I hit the same tones with a lot of people, especially in this one. I didn't see a lot of original uh, negative comments. Maybe it'll be different with the house books. Yeah, I think it'll be different with the house books. I'm look, really looking forward to the negative comments, on as weird as that sounds, for the original series. I think that that'll be I like some much. Different stuff. I'll probably get into more people that don't like novels that take a lot of time to do world building. Yeah. Or I science think, fiction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe. Uh, Jim, any comments on that last? Um... Yeah. Basically, to me, it sounded like the same tune in a different key. Yeah. Um, you know, wah, wah, wah. This isn't Frank Herbert. Well, sorry. Yeah, it's not supposed to be. <laughs> so yeah, that's about all I can say about that. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Well, I believe that does it. It that that's it for our listener feedback show. Yeah. Thank you, everyone that wrote in. As always, you can call in, and we'll give you those digits in just a second. But we appreciate that. That's probably almost an hour long. There we had this discussing listener feedback and bad reviews. So, um, if you want to leave us your own feedback and comment on what we talked about here, both in the feedback section or in the main show or in the the Dune in Ten segment. Uh, please, you can email us your thoughts or your review of the next uh, of of the feedback show or the next book. Our next book is what again? House House of Trades. House of Trades. So your review of that, you can email it to the Dune Saga Podcast at gmail dot com. Or we'd love to hear your beautiful voice, and you can do that by calling in at one eight 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 five zero eight four three four three. You can also email to that email address, an MP3 file if you want to do it that way as well. You can find us on Facebook at the facebook.com backslash Dune Saga Podcast. We give updates as to where we're at in the books. People are commenting and leaving feedback on it. So you can join the conversation up there. We have a ton of likes on our Facebook page. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what we're up to right now, but it's been good. Um, I could look here in a second. Um, and maybe I will. Maybe it won't tell me that. How, how to tell you how many likes at, at the top? Oh, 134 likes. So you can join the community there as we do that. Um, and remember, you can visit our main page at the com. We'll find links to all those things, our Twitter handle and everything else that you want to find out about your show hosts and so on. And uh, we don't have a – do we have a date for the next show yet? Uh, not yet. Uh, we'll, we'll post that on the web. We'll put that in – to uh, Facebook and we'll just tweet it and make sure people know that we'll discuss it here before we go so I believe that's about it yeah so for the Dune Saga podcast once again I'm David Moulton I am Scott Herzog and I am Jim Arrowwood and may Shai Hulud clear the path before you